Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 1. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 1. We're going through the wonderful gospel record of Luke and it's all of its detail and a lot of so many things to learn from and to glean from. This morning we took some time to speak, see Mary show up to get confirmation from her cousin Elizabeth that the things that the angel Gabriel had told her was so. And so we saw this relationship, we saw this encouragement and probably saw some things that you hadn't paid attention to before just hearing as the Holy Spirit had filled Elizabeth and had revealed three specific points to Mary that Elizabeth could not have known in herself just to be confirmation to um, Mary. Now at the meantime, Elizabeth herself had been expecting with child. Her husband, Zacharias, was a high priest who had been, had get, gotten an encounter with an angel and him and his wife were 80 in their 80s when the angel had told him that they were going to have a child and so that was a miracle of itself having an elderly couple having a child and now because Zacharias had not believed the angel he has been silent this entire time from the time that he heard the angel to the time that he finally got released from his duties to the temple and went home to the time that she became expected all the way up to where we find ourselves in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number one I'm sure that Zacharias is itching to be able to speak I'm sure he's wondering if he'll be able to speak again well let's see what happens as we now pick up the story and the gospel record of Luke in chapter number one. The gospel record of Luke chapter one and notice with me in verse number 56. Luke chapter one and verse 56. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Now Elizabeth's full time had come that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, as they called him Zacharias, after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he could have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosened, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt around about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. 
And his father Zecharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spake by the mouth of the holy prophets, which had been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet, into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is attributed to John the Baptist as a, an example of what type of person he would be? Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the gospel record of Luke in chapter 1, the gospel record of Luke chapter 1 and verse number 66. Notice the last phrase, the hand of the Lord was with him. The hand of the Lord was with with him. And when, as we approach this and we could see a little bit more information about the prophecy of John the Baptist, we can see what is going to be described of John the Baptist as this, the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And once again, as we hit this historical part of the Word of God and be able to ha see what happened in history, to see this marvelous, wonderful event, this miracle that came to show that there was something special and something unique about your prophet, your forerunner, John the Baptist. I'm asking that we would see it ourselves and be able to piece it together, to be able to discern and understand the importance of this forerunner and also through his life to be able to have this application to ourself. Again, I trust your spirit to do its own work and that I just ask that I'm put out of the way that you would just fill me with your spirit and it wouldn't be my desires, my goals, what I want to get accomplished. But we could trust you to do your own work through your precious word. Thank you that we could trust you in this. We love you. Amen. Well, now as we hit this important part, as we're going through the history and we're starting to see what happened, we've been left with uh, this mystery, this um, overhanging idea, Zacharias has been silent. Elizabeth has been expected. Time has been gone on. They've had here Mary with them for a while. Let's pick this story back up and be able to study this this principle here. And the first thing I'd like to show you is the birth of John. The birth 
of John. Now, of course, we're speaking about John the Baptist. Let's see about this birth. Notice with me in verse 56. And Mary abode with her... Um, with her three months and returned to her own house. Now this is the continuation of the story we had this morning of Mary coming and visiting her cousin Elizabeth. And they stayed with her about three months. So Elizabeth was about six months expected when Mary arrived. She stayed at three months doing the math. She stayed till about nine months, which is about courteous. Understanding that Mary is starting to show herself just a little bit, a little bit of a baby bump. Seeing that Elizabeth is 80 years old and that having company over and taking care of company is probably not going to be the best idea when she has a newborn baby to take care of. And so Mary takes off and heads back home and she's got to reconnect to Joseph. By the way, she has to go tell Joseph the good news that she's expected, but that's a different message altogether. So as she disappears back, here is uh, Elizabeth getting ready to have child. Nine months have passed. Her husband has been silent for over nine months. There's an anticipation as she is great with child. And finally, the day arrives. Verse number 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered. And she brought forth a son. Now she brings forth a son. If you have any neighbors who care about you or at least curious about you, they would all show up if an 80-year-old lady decided to have a baby. And so they want to see how she's looking. Did the baby break her? Is she still alive? How does this work out? They want to go see this and so they all show up. Verse 58, and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and that rejoiced upon her. By the way, if an 80-year-old lady just gives birth, God had showed her great mercy. That's a lot of strength for a young woman. Could you imagine an 80-year-old woman going through it? Now remember, they don't have hospitals. They don't have epidurals. They don't have good drugs. It was natural birth. 80 years old, God had showed her great mercy. And so her neighbors show up in a concern curious about what's going on and they see the little baby and they're rejoicing with her. Yay! The baby is born. This is wonderful. Verse number 59. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. So we know that according to, um, to Hebrew law that for a Hebrew man child that at age eight days old they were to perform a ceremony called a circumcision which was a surgery upon a man child and it was done in eight days and of course there's a wonderful study about eight days because at eight days that's when the infant's antibodies begin to start picking up as well as the mother's antibodies in his system at eight days years old are eight days old, the baby has two sets of antibodies to help protect against infection. Isn't God wise by saying you have to do it at eight days? That's a different study in itself later on. But they have time. Eight days, the child is going to be circumcised, which is a big deal in Jewish culture. The baby's being circumcised. And it's at eight days old that the parents reveal the name of the child. And so as they have the ceremony and the baby has the minor surgery, the people gather around and they're waiting to hear, all right, Elizabeth, what are you going to call this baby? Are you going to call him Zecharias after his dad? He's going to be Zecharias the third, fourth, fifth, whatever he is. He's going to be named after his father. Notice if you don't mind finishing off verse 59. And it came to pass on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they called him Zecharias. After the name of his father. And his mother said, answered and called him, No, not so. 
but he shall be called John. After all, this is what the, uh, Gabriel had told Zacharias that he was going to be. He had somehow communicated to his wife, probably wrote it down, that his name's going to be John. So now, as Zacharias can't speak, they're all looking at the mother expectantly. So what are you going to call the boy? We're going to call him John. John? Remember, names were such a big deal back then. And if you weren't naming them something special, you were naming them after family to carry on a tradition. But notice, if you don't mind, their response, verse 61. And they said unto her, There was none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. So they had probably, after nine months, ten months, got used to trying to have some sort of sign language to Zechariah to be able to speak to him. And you can imagine them playing charades when Elizabeth says, No, no, his name's going to be called John. Well, they don't like her answer. They turn to the Zechariah. So what are you going to call him? You know, with the idea that maybe... Um, <laughs> Elizabeth had hijacked the whole thing. My husband can't speak, so I can name him whatever I want. And so they turn to Zechariah and say, what are you going to call the child? His name, his name. And so he asked, verse 63, he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, his name is John. And they all marveled. They marveled all. They said, wow, this is kind of weird. This is amazing. His name's going to be called John. So Zechariah writes it down. His name's going to be called John. Okay, well, that's unusual. It's just something else to add to our day. What's going on here? And notice what happens. Verse 63. Uh, verse 64. And his mouth was opened immediately. Now, this was part of that prophecy that the child was going to be born and his name was going to be called John. So as soon as they confirmed his name's going to be called John, after all this time of being silent, he's now able to speak. And so he wrote down their names, John. They all go, okay, okay. And he finds his voice. His tongue is loosened. And he spake. And the first thing he did was praise God. As he's able to speak, oh, let me tell you, God is so good. Now they're all staring at him. You, you've been quiet this whole time. Let me tell you, God is so good. He gave us a child. He told us to call him John. And God's got something to do with this. Verse 65, and fear came on all that dwelt around them. And all of these sayings were noised abroad throughout the hill country of Judea. After all, the gossipers would be in full business right now. 80-year-old lady had a baby and we showed up and this man hasn't been able to speak for a year and now he's able to speak and he's saying what great God it is. We've never seen anything like this before. Agnes, what do you think? And they'd be able to talk about it and noise it abroad and tell everyone we saw this wonderful saying. <laughs> Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 66. And all that heard them laid them up in their hearts. Meaning, they remembered this. And generations later, they would still talk about this. Oh yeah, I remember that John guy. Let me tell you about his birth. And they remembered it. It was something they kept in their minds. And they kept in their hearts saying, What manner of child shall this be? Then notice this. And the hand of the Lord was with him. Speaking of John. So what it's referring to, that as the people would go back and they would hear about John the Baptist when he started his ministry, they would say, oh, we remember John. 
his birth, that was something amazing. We were there. We, we saw Zechariah not speak for a while. That means that as the gospel writer here, Luke, is recording things, there was a wealth of evidence to get this from. Now, if you were to think about it, Zechariah and um, <coughs> Elizabeth were probably not alive by the time that Luke did his rounds. However, there was enough eyewitnesses there that could recount the story that he could double check and say these people had it in their heart and they all had the same detail and we're recording this down because this is an amazing event. And let me tell you, the one thing to underscore from here is that God had his hand upon John the Baptist. He wasn't just some nobody who decided to be used. God had plans with him for his whole life and the hand of the Lord was upon him. If you don't mind, let's study more about this. And we see the prophecy of John. The prophecy of John. Verse number 67. 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesying, saying... Now remember, we just saw this this morning when Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And as she was filled with the Spirit, God by his Spirit directed Elizabeth to tell Mary three things that Elizabeth could not know. Now as Zechariah is filled with the Spirit, God is directing him to give a prophecy about this little baby that God is going to use and how God is going to use this child. Notice if you don't mind, as Zechariah preaches, by the way, someone said this, that a preacher is going to preach. That a preacher just waits to preach. And now he's finally got permission of the Lord and he's ready to preach. Notice if you don't mind in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people. So they're starting off with God, looking to God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. It is God that visited and redeemed his people. God has a plan to buy the people back, to purchase them, to save them from their sins. Verse number 69, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, of course, the baby Jesus Christ inside of Mary has been with them for three months. They know he was there. They, ha they know Jesus Christ is coming. And it says they raise the horn of salvation. That word horn is an interesting word. It's found throughout the Bible. It usually has the connotation from a horn of an animal like the horn of a ram or horn of something else. It carries a picture of strength and power. And so Jesus Christ he is the strength, the power of salvation. He's the one that makes salvation possible. He is the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of them that hate him. Verse 70 and 71 is speaking with the idea that the Bible has been speaking about this for a while. That God has prophesied through his prophets that he was going to send a redeemer. That he was going to send the chosen one. He was going to send the Messiah. And the Messiah is going to save them from our enemies. Save them from all them that hate us. Just as God had promised. Verse 50, uh, 72. 
to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. The oath which he spoke to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us and that we being delivered out of the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear. Now this is going to be more millennial kingdom preaching here that in the future, but Zechariah may not have known this, but God had promised that he was going to set up a kingdom and he was going to deliver them for all the enemies and that the Jewish people were going to be able to serve their God without any repercussions, without people making fun of them, without any persecutions. And this is what the Hebrew people are still waiting for still. And it's going to happen during the millennial kingdom. Notice it, if you don't mind, as it goes on in this prophecy, 75. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Now notice, the prophecy has been talking about Christ. Now he turns the prophecy to this child. Eight days, you're eight days old. The crowd around, they're amazed that Zechariah is able to speak. They're listening to the message. If you heard a guy who couldn't speak for a year and he begins to preach, you might want to pay attention. And so as he's talking about the Messiah coming, he now looks at the child and dedicates this child and prophesies, and thou child, he's speaking about John the Baptist, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. He says this is going to be a child that God is going to use to be the forerunner. This is the one that's prophesied in the book of Malachi to make the way straight, to prepare the way, to let people be ready to receive this Messiah that is coming. And to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. John the Baptist is going to have a simple message. Repent! Repent! Turn ye from your evil ways. Look unto the Messiah that is coming. Turn from your ways. Recognize that you're a sinner. And because of your sin you've offended a holy righteous God. But turn from your ways and turn to God. He has prepared a way for you to forgive you of your sins. To have remission of your sins. So how does this work? Notice if you don't mind 79. Through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring from on high has visited us. The word day spring is another name from Christ that pops in from time to time. It is carrying the idea that God is the one who is going to give us the spring of living water. And it's through God's tender mercy, through his love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice with me verse 79. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be a light in this dark world. And it is John the Baptist that is going to point people to that light. He was not this light as the gospel record of John says. He was just pointing to that light. That was what John the Baptist was to do. Now with this, we've already hit here the birth of John and what a big day this was. Then we see the prophecy of John that John the Baptist was going to be the forerunner of Christ. But let's go to where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The growth of John. 
the growth of John. Notice with me in verse number 80, and we see quite a bit in this one verse. And the child grew. As children do, this child is going to grow up. And the child grew. Notice this. And waxed strong in spirit. By the way, what spirit? The Holy Spirit. God had prophesied that this child was going to be filled with the Spirit from the time of its birth. And that it was going to wax strong in spirit. And so here the child is learning to trust in God. Learning to be strong in the Spirit. Then notice this if you don't mind. And was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Now with this we see something amazing here. Let's put on our thinking caps and logic. John's parents were 80 years old, both of them. And they were already long. The age expectancy in that ancient world was in its 60s or less. So here you have John's parents that are already ancient. They are already wax old. They are already considered older than everyone else. So when John the Baptist was born, he had elderly folks. And they were not long for this world. Now, this was still part of God's plan. By the way, that was a hardship that John had to face to bury both of his parents when he was still probably a young child. So how was he raised? What happened is that God raised him in the deserts. Until the day of his showing. Now, John was not publicly, didn't have his public ministry until right before Jesus made his way. Maybe a couple years before. What was happening during this time? God separated John from the rest of the world. He separated John to himself. So John had to be dependent upon the Lord. What was God doing? God was making John in secret. You know, there is no easy way to serve God. You know, sometimes we miss that passage here. And then we'll see John the Baptist later on preaching. And we almost like turn the page and it's already over. But let me tell you, there is a good span of years between here and between when John is preaching in the wilderness. There is a huge span of time. And during that span of time. John is being taught by God. Think about this desert training. His parents are dead. And that's heartbreaking itself. Anyone who's lost a parent can tell you how much that hurts. And to lose a parent at a young age. That's a thing that, that molds you. And, and, and puts an impression upon a child. You put on top of that, that God has separated him out from everyone else, out in the desert with loneliness, separation, all by himself. Why? To make God, to make John the person, the instrument that God desired him to be. We forget this part. We see here's John born and then here's John preaching and we miss the in-between training. We miss it. By the time you see John, he is already an instrument ready to be used of God. What happened in this meantime? What happened during this time? Well, may I explain the principle of what is going on? Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the major prophet 
Isaiah. And I would like to show you this principle that is found <coughs> in the book of Isaiah in chapter number 49. Isaiah in 49. We have to teach this because so often people have a unrealistic view of serving God. There are many people who love to be used of God, but they miss that there is a period where God is making a man of God, making a woman of God, making a servant of God, doing something inside of their life. There is no easy way to serve God. There is none. If you don't mind, notice if you don't mind. And let's see this. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. And look with me in verse 1. Isaiah 49 and verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. That sounds like John the Baptist. By the way, this is the calling of Isaiah. Jeremiah had a similar calling in, in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. But notice this. The Lord hath called me from the womb. By the way, just as a little side note, isn't it interesting that God has used little children and made importance of children inside of the womb in our messages as of late? That a child in the womb is something that God has already had in mind to use and is already considered a person in God's eyes. Go on. Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he, God, hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. Notice if you don't mind, we learned something here. Notice it says that it talks about being in my mouth a sharp sword. It carries the idea that this is an instrument used in the hands of God. That John the Baptist, as we make this application, wasn't John the Baptist intentionally made for his mouth to be an instrument in the hands of God, to be the forerunner of Christ, to be a prepared? Well, remember, before we get the finished product, there was something that had to be done. Notice if you don't mind. In the shadow of his hand hath he made me, or he hath hid me. This is what happened to John the Baptist. That God hid John and made him in secret. We see the finished product, but before you got the finished product, God had hid John. And in where no one else could look at, God had made John the instrument. That God desired him to be. And by the way, this making is not an easy process. There is no easy way to serve God. Notice this. In the shadow of his hand he hath hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he hath hid me. Notice that phrase polished shaft. It carries the idea of a finished product, a finished weapon, a specifically a finished arrow that is made to be used but there is a process to make any instrument. The Bible talks about iron sharpeneth iron. So shall a friend sharpen the countenance of his friend. There's a sharpening. If you're going to take iron and you're going to sharpen an axe, there's going to be friction there. There's going to be sparks. There's going to be uh, 
smoke. There's going to be all kinds of things in that process of sharpening that axe. Well, inside of making a weapon, making an arrow, making a polished shaft, there is also this making uh, period. I heard a story from a missionary who was in the deepest part of Africa. And this part of Africa, as he was working with a tribe, is the most crookedest stick in all of the world. Again, many of you have heard this illustration, but it's good again. And the missionary would notice as this tribe would begin to work, they would take the crookedest stick in the world and they would take their knife and they would begin to cut on this stick and cut off the knobs and cut off the little scraggly branches and twigs that was on it. Then they would take the stick and they would put it into a fire. And just when that stick was about ready to catch on fire, they would remove that stick and with a wet rag, they would begin to rub on that stick. And as they took that wet rag and rubbed on that stick, an amazing thing occurred. That stick began to straighten out. And so they would take their knife and they would cut on it some more and get off some of the knobs and things on it. They would take the stick, put it back in the fire. And just when that stick's about ready to catch on fire, they would take it out and take a wet rag and begin to rub on it some more. And that stick would straighten out even more. And then we continue that process until they had a straight stick, a straight shaft, and then they would put fletching on it, put an arrowhead, and they would put it inside of their quiver ready to be used with their bow and arrow. Well, the missionary would watch in this process, and every now and again, they would take a stick and they would cut on it and cut off some of the knobs. Then what they would do is they would take that stick and they would put it in the fire. And right when it was about ready to catch fire, they would pull it out. They would take a wet rag and begin to rub on it. But this time as they rubbed, rubbed on that stick, they would begin to chant over it. Ooh, 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 ah, 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 ooh. And they would go through a big ceremony over it. And they would continue the process. And every time they would take it out of the fire and with the rag, they would chant over it. Well, the missionary asked about it and said, I noticed that you have two, uh, this process of making arrows and it's amazing. And I noticed that when you would uh, put one set of arrows, you would put it in your quiver. But then there was these arrows that you would make and you would chant over them and you would put them in a different compartment in your quiver. What's the difference? What's going on? Well, the native explained, well, this arrow here, this is a plaything. If it shoot at rabbit, rabbit, <laughs> the arrow go left or right, miss rabbit, no big deal. But this arrow is my polished shaft. It was the native's word, not the missionary's word. This is my polished shaft. And in this, this arrow must hit target. Lion chase after me. Leopard chase after me. Arrow must not go left or right. Must hit where I intend it. My polished shaft. Well, this same process is what God does. He does it in secret. This is not in public. It is in secret where no one can see you. No one sees what you're going through. No one sees the struggles you're enduring. And God takes his knife and begins to cut things away from you. Begins to separate some things out of your life. Cut some things out of your life that may not be bad, may not be wrong, but they're not necessary for you to be an instrument used in God's hands. And he cuts away. And by the way, that cutting hurts. You feel it. You feel it being taken away. Then he puts you to the fires of trouble. And just when you think you can't handle anymore, just when you think you're going to be consumed, he takes you out. And he takes a rag and he rubs you. And an amazing thing happens you who were all crooked, were all sinners, were all messed up and gnarled, 
begin to straighten out. And God continues that process. And this is the process that must happen if we are going to be used of God. Is that he cuts away at us. He takes some things and removes some things from our life. He puts us in the fire of trouble. And when we can't handle anymore, when we're at the place where we just think we just, we're just going to be burned away, he takes us out and he cuts away some more. And this is the process of becoming a polished shaft. For John, it was almost 30 years separated from the world. Separated to God. Depended upon God for his very life and substance. That is not an easy life. Some people look at the finished product and say, Man, I want to preach like John. I want to have the influence like John. Well, only if you're willing to suffer and go through the process of being made can you be used of John. You cannot be used of God if you're not willing to go through the process. As you study man of God and woman of God, there's not a single one of them who was used that did not go through the fires of trouble. Not a single one. As you study the biographies of each and every one of them, you'll see that common thread. Trouble. Heartbreak. I was just reading just a bit ago of a missionary who was in communist China and the communist Chinese took this missionary and they were vowing to break him and they put him with communist doctrine. They tried to teach him how to be like Marx. They indoctrinated and tried to do everything they could but he had God's word hiding in his heart and he would just depend on God's word till eventually they just had enough of him and they gave him his Bible back and he was almost like, look, God is confounded and made the, the wisdom of this world foolishness in his sight. Look at what God did and God used him in a great way. As you study all these other people who were used of God, missionaries, Bible translators, people who worked and gave us the word of God, whether it was people who were missionaries or pastors, all of them, all of them, went through this period where God is making that man, making that woman, going through the period of troubles. You look at someone like Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, who went to go open up the interior of China, was rejected by almost every missionary board and said that he could amount to nothing. Here is someone who lost his very wife on the mission field. And I don't remember if he lost wife number two or wife number uh, or not, if she survived. But could you imagine burying your wife on the mission field, trying to reach people who don't want to be reached and doing it anyways? To, to give your life, to study them. Every one of them had the same thing in common. In order to be used of God, you must go through this period of God making you and God molding you and putting you in the fire and cutting you up and doing it in secret. But let me tell you, as we look at John the Baptist, what was the phrase that was used to describe him for all of his life? The hand of God was upon him. Every Christian who wants to be used of God should desire that same phrase to be put on their life. The hand 
of God was upon them. The hand of God was upon them. But there is no easy way to be served, to be used of God. That God put John, allowed him to be at a stage where his parents died when he was young. He was raised in the deserts and had to be dependent upon God. And that is not easy. Ask Elijah. It is not comfortable. Ask Jeremiah. But yet, when he came out, there was a preacher like no one else except for the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that the Lord Jesus Christ said, What went you out to see? And he pointed to John. And the Bible said there was none greater than John the Baptist. That came from Jesus himself. There was none greater than John the Baptist. And it wasn't because he was a good preacher. It wasn't because he was someone that people respected. It wasn't because he had some backbone. It wasn't because he looked different because he wore skins and had grasshopper legs hanging out of his mouth. It was because of the hand of God was upon him. The hand of God was upon him. Is that something you crave? Is that something you desire? For the hand of God to be upon you? Let me tell you it can be and God wants it to be. But it cannot be without your willingness to go through that valley of troubles. To go through the fire. To let God make you in secret. To go through that process which is not easy nor is it quick. But to come out being used as a weapon in the hands of God. To be used in life and death situations. To be coming out where people can say the good hand of God was upon them. And God used them. That should be the desire of every Christian who loves the Lord. That the hand of God is upon them. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.